Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com in our 18th year. And we have a great guest for you today, as we do every week. And uh, as you all know, we're going through the coronavirus right now. We're at the end of March of 2020. These shows are evergreen, which means you can listen anytime. And we're going to talk about general topics, but we also are going to have a special focus uh, on the virus and what we can do about it. My guest today is Dr. Valentin Antochi, and he is an orthopedic surgeon. He's an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at the Warren Alpert School of Medicine at Brown University. He's a hip and knee replacement specialist at Lifespan, including Rhode Island Hospital, the Miriam Hospital, Newport Hospital, and the director of outpatient reconstruction at University Orthopedics. And today we're going to talk about uh, people who have hips that are having issues and knees and requiring joint replacement. We're also going to talk about um, different ways to do joint replacements and also for people who have had their surgeries scheduled and and because they're elective, which some of them are, uh, they can't have them at the moment. What can you do at home? So these are all the things we're going to talk to Dr. Antochi about. Welcome, Dr. Antochi. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, yes. I think I think all the points that you raised are, are very relevant, especially nowadays. Um, everybody's pretty scared out there, and uh, I think we should talk about that too. Uh, but yes, no, thank you, thank you for the invitation to be on the show. I've been on the show with you before, and I've always enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, let's. Um, I know that there's a new procedure, and actually there was a video on it. It was fascinating about how joint replacements today are much faster. And so explain that to us, to our audience. Well, so, so you know, going back, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hip and knee um, specialist, meaning that, you know, we, we, we spend quite a bit of time um, focusing on hip and knee replacements. Um, outside of the typical uh, residency training for orthopedic surgery, where we learn a lot of different procedures, we spend extra time just, just doing hip and knee. Uh, the benefit of it is, is trying to figure out how to do things most efficiently and reproducibly. Um, a, a lot of people across the country are doing hip and knee replacements and the difference between um, um, a general orthopedic surgeon and somebody who's fellowship trained is that uh, that's all I do. Um, about 90, 95% of the, the, the surgery that I do is really just hip and knee replacements. Um, in the last uh, you know, couple decades, there's a number of advances that has happened across the field of uh, hip and knee replacements. Um, mainly focusing on minimally invasive surgery, um, smaller incisions, less muscle damage, um, as well as uh, increased efficiency of both the implants but also the surgeries. So mm. if we are talking, you know, my predecessors, some of my mentors who, with whom I trained at Massachusetts General Hospital, um, they used to have an, a morning joint replacement and an evening joint replacement, mm. which is, you know, two joint replacements a day. Each of them would usually take somewhere between four to six hours. Um, mm. Nowadays, uh, hip and knee surgery is more likely uh, 45 minutes to 90 minutes. It's amazing. In is fact, it outpatient, was, Dr. Antochi, is it an outpatient procedure or do you stay overnight? So, so, so that's, that's, exactly where the next push is. So, so if we're talking about, you know, 
45 to 90 minute surgery versus a six hour surgery. Um, it, it's much more efficient. The patient is um, much less affected. Uh, having six hours of anesthesia is a big difference compared to 45 yeah. minutes of anesthesia. If yeah. you think about it, a colonoscopy can take longer than that, and usually you walk in and go home for the same thing, where the knee arthroscopy, uh, a lot of people talk about scopes, putting a camera in the knee and taking a look around. That can take just as long as, as, as that. So the benefit of having more efficient surgeries is ultimately the fact that I think patients are doing much better after the surgeries compared to where they were doing even five or ten years ago, um, and due to that, uh, a lot of the surgeries are now slowly transitioning to an uh, uh, outpatient medium, meaning you can come in, have the surgery done, uh, and then go home the same evening. In fact, I did two surgeries this morning. One of the patients is already at home comfortable, uh, and another one will be heading home shortly. Um, again, as I said, in a pretty comfortable state. Uh, before, before they head home, they're able to get up, walk around, they had their lunch, they went to the bathroom, mm, they did some stairs, um, and, and, and they're sitting on their couch watching TV rather than uh, in a hospital bed, um, yeah. kind of isolated yeah. from everybody, especially so, so nowadays so, with, with the COVID-19 out there. Absolutely. So let me ask you, explain the procedure of this, the 45-minute surgery versus the six-hour. Explain what, exactly what that entails and what you do. Right. So, so the truth is that the principles have not changed. What a hip replacement or knee replacement is, is more or less a resurfacing type surgery. If you think about arthritis, where an arthritis is damage of the cartilage uh, or damage of the, the, the covering of our knees or hips, um, what we're doing is we're taking all the damaged cartilage off and we're putting a metal cover on it. The, mm-hmm. the similar example I give to patients is like horseshoes. So basically horses run around and they just beat up their feet. You put a pair of, uh, you know, the horseshoes, a, a metal cover on top of it, and they're able to keep on running without having much damage to it. Wow. That's the basic principle. We're, doing a co- we're covering the, the bed with metal. So now you, when you're walking, you're no longer walking on your, on your own bones or on your own cartilage. You're now walking on this, on, on this cover. So you have metal against plastic rather than bone on bone. Mm. That's the principle. Mm. What has changed, as I said, is that, you know, compared to really dissecting and having an incision that, you know, for a standard hip, I remember even when I started training, um, uh, 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 the average scar and the average incision used to be somewhere around, you know, 10, 15 inches, sometimes even longer. Nowadays, mm. I've, done, I've done surgeries where the incision was about an inch, an inch and a half. Mm-hmm. So the benefit of it, I, you know, I'm not taking you know, an hour and a half taking, filleting the whole patient apart to try to find out the entire anatomy. We, we have defined the ideal planes, the ideal ways to get into to, to the hip or to the knee uh, in order to minimize the muscle damage, which as a side effect actually saves time. So it makes it much more efficient from that perspective. That's amazing. For how long board, have you been doing these? And how, how long have these been, how, how long, this is fairly new, Correct. Uh, the outpatient surgery is relatively new, even though not as new as you may think. The, the, the transition, is, it hasn't happened overnight. So I think in the last 20 years, literally, you know, every five years, you, you, you have little steps that are, are being optimized and improved, uh, leading to faster and more efficient surgery. 
So the big push, I think, was in around two, early 2000s where, you know, the true minimally invasive surgery came in. Uh, the side effect of it is not just the anatomy, you know, that we dissect is smaller. The instrumentation has gotten smaller. The implants have gotten more efficient. So all those mm-hmm. things have slowly added to it. Um, and then in the last five to 10 years, we're seeing even further push to more efficient and, and less intrusive surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think we're talking about outpatient surgery. It really started taking off around 2015, 2016. As mm-hmm. of 2019, 2020, the reports are that up to 25%, that's a quarter of total joints are done in an outpatient setting. In fact, Medicare, as of the year 2018, I believe, has mandated that total knees are considered outpatient surgery. That's and great. this year, I think total hips are coming onto being outpatient surgery. The, the, so the thing are, has are you still again. doing... Go, go ahead. Are you still doing the longer form surgery or are you mostly doing this? Are there some surgeries that call for a longer form, the four to six hours? Oh, yeah, they do. I mean, it's, it, and that's, that's a case-by-case case, case case play. Um, I was saying, so what has changed is that Medicare 2020, this year in January, has actually uh, classified total knee replacements as acceptable for the surgery center, right. meaning that you, you know, they do not have to be done at the hospital. So this is Medicare, uh, which is usually, if you think about Medicare, they're the patients who are older and perhaps not as well qualified. However, mm-hmm. the, the average age of a total knee replacement in the United States nowadays is around 56 years of age. A lot of those patients are fully functional, uh, they're hardworking, uh, they're in good shape, that they don't want to be in the hospital overnight. Now, your question either, you know, are all surgeries qualified for outpatients and either all patients should just be going home and not come into the hospital to get their total replacement, that is never going to happen because not every person is the same. Ideally, an outpatient case should be somebody who's uh, younger, who is you know, in good shape, somebody who's going to be able to get going. I I tell everyone that the stronger you are coming into the surgery, the stronger you're going to be coming out of surgery, Mm -hmm. meaning that everyone should really hit the gym. If you are able to to walk well, if you're able to, you know, do stairs beforehand, you should be able to do stairs afterwards. I mean, it's a 45-minute procedure, and I really have no limitations for you afterwards, meaning... First patient of the day, for example, is a hip replacement. We are doing them generally under spinal anesthesia, so they get they, they don't even go to sleep. All they do is they get a needle, which they inject a little bit of lidocaine, novocaine, or, or that kind of medications, a local medication around the spinal canal that allows for them to, you know, not feel any sensation from their lower extremities, from their legs, for about 60 minutes. 60 minutes later, they're back to their normal self. The patient can actually be completely awake through the surgery if they want to, where they get the medications to kind of relax them so they don't have to be stressed about all the noises and everything they hear across. So 60 minutes later, I I literally, I I walked to the patient in the recovery room. They were talking, you know, I I actually dialed um, their family member and we we had a, you know, a a chat together. Um, Physical therapy got them up about 30 minutes later and literally two hours after they came to the facility, they were ready to go home. Mm. And, and I don't nice. mean by that. A lot of patients hear that and they get scared. They go, oh, my gosh, what do you mean? You're just going to kick me out of there. That's right. not the case. Right. What's the, the case is that like? the patient has gotten out of bed, walked around, 
felt comfortable. Pain wasn't too bad. They ate. They, they went to the bathroom. Um, they basically were like, I'm bored. What am I doing here? Can I go home now? Right. So when we started so- doing this, you know, I, we used to, like, be very cautious, and we're still very cautious, again, making sure that it is the right patient, right situation. We would tip the patients there till 6 o'clock, and they would be watching TV, and they would be really bored. And, mm-hmm. and now, you know, we started, you know, whenever they're ready, we, 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 you know, if they really want to go home, we, we set everything up and we send them home. No, again, you guys are tell, tell me, I just want to ask some questions here. Tell me, what is the recovery like at home for these patients that have come for outpatient surgery? How long does that take and what do they have to do when they get home? So the nice thing is I think they actually get a little bit even closer treatment than, than they sometimes would get, you know, in, in, the, in, in the facility. Uh, for one is we, we have been organizing a, a CNA. Um, that goes home with them. So in this way, it kind of helps them through the evening if they have any questions and, and over uh, has some oversight over their condition. Um, there's usually a nurse and a physical therapist that comes to their home the evening of the surgery just to kind of do them another session of physical therapy to make sure everything is okay, check in with them. I personally usually check in with the patients just to make sure that, again, uh, they're doing well. Any questions they may have, everything gets answered across. Outside of that, to be honest, the recovery is very similar no matter what the pathway. So they get physical therapy and usually nursing visits about three times a week. In the meantime, I recommend to all my patients to get a gym membership. Granted, nowadays there's no gyms, but at least to do exercises, a regimen of exercises that they can do every day, twice a day, or even three times a day in order to work on overall return of strength, return of motion, uh, and improve their overall condition and physical status. Um, an average total knee replacement, usually they will be on a walker or, or, or crutches for a week or so. They will go to a cane for a week or two. I've had patients usually go back to work around three to four weeks. They hit the golf course in about four to six weeks. Wow. Now, is that the same as if they had the, the, the inpatient surgery? Is that recovery process the same in terms of timing or is it different? To be honest, our goal is to have the same recovery across the board. So okay. I don't, I, you know, the hospitals do, you know, and I operate at the hospital. So I operate three days a week in the hospital and usually a, a day or even half a day sometimes at the outpatient uh, facility. Uh, and, and guess what? In the hospital right now at Miriam Hospital and Rhode Island Hospital, about 25 to 30% of patients are going home within 24 hours of the surgery, 23 hours uh, of the surgery. So they're still move, moving more or less on outpatient-type basis. Um, I don't discriminate as in, I, I, you know, I don't do big surgeries at the hospital. Uh, a lot of patients who require bigger surgery, either because they have a bigger size where they have a more complicated anatomy, where they have mm-hmm. a really worn off, an, uh, you know, hip, they re- may require bigger surgery, and those are predominantly going to be done inpatient. Uh, but outside of that, I think the recovery, my goals for the recovery are the same. I still tell people that, like, hey, I'd like you to kind of, you know, transition from a, from a walker to a cane in the next week to two weeks and then transition, you know, to, to being independent in the next four to six weeks. And I think all my partners are in the same boat. All of us are doing the same thing. Um, we have five total joint surgeons, and out of us five, I think four of us are operating at the surgery center. Uh, four of us are doing outpatient surgery, both at the surgery center and at the hospital. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So how can people find out or find out more about this? Where would they go? Would they go online? Um, they can definitely go online, um, either on universalorthopedics.com, which is our website, but they also can, can view the national resources. So the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, which is abbreviated A-A-H-K-S, uh, .org, has extensive information uh, on outpatient old joint surgery, uh, as well as the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery, which is the AAOS.org. Uh, both of those websites are fantastic for a lot of patient education and patient information. And as I said, our own website, universityorthopedics.com, uh, always has, we, we try to post resources, we try to post references. Plus, Facebook has taken, you know, has, has taken the country by, by a big wave uh, or storm, you would say, um, so both me and most of my partners have Facebook uh, pages um, that we, we are pretty open in discussing things. Uh, we actually have uh, regular Facebook Live type sessions uh, trying to teach people about uh, some of these effects uh, and some of the novelties that they we're doing with some of the new procedures and everything mm-hmm. along uh, related to it. And what is the Facebook page? What is that address? Um, so so if, if you, for example, if you look my name, Valentin Antucci on Facebook, um, there's a business, business Facebook uh, uh, you know, page um, that kind of contains a lot of my information. A lot of my patients are, are on it. Um, they, they are always, you know, always communicating. I'm also uh, posting different uh, um, articles, uh, news flashes, or uh, things about my practice um, that patients can definitely follow. Okay, so it would be universityorthopedics.com, or you can go to Facebook, and that would be Valentin Antochi, V-A-L-E-N-T-I-N, without the E, and Antochi, A-N-T-O-C-I. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Antochi about if you have scheduled, during this virus, if you have scheduled an elective joint replacement surgery, and you can't get in right now because other patients are taking precedence with being sick with COVID-19, what can you do at home? Why are you waiting for your surgery? What can you do? So we're going to talk all about that when we come back with Dr. Valentin Antochi. And again, he's an associate professor of orthopedic surgery with the Warren Alpert School of Medicine at Brown University. And he's a hip and knee replacement specialist at Lifespan, including Rhode Island Hospital, the Miriam Hospital, Newport Hospital. And he's the director of outpatient and reconstruction at University Orthopedics. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com. America's Voice. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reingold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. 
Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. My guest is Dr. Valentin Antochi. He's an associate professor of orthopedic surgery with the Warren Alpert School of Medicine at Brown University. He is a hip and knee replacement specialist at Lifespan, which includes Rhode Island Hospital, the Miriam Hospital, the Newport Hospital, and he's also the director of outpatient and reconstruction at University Orthopedics. Welcome back, Dr. Antochi. Well, thank you again. Okay. All right. So let's talk about, there's a lot to talk about here. I want to spend time talking about patients who have elective surgeries scheduled and have had to have them postponed because of the virus. So you can certainly explain, you know, why that is, why they're postponing, um, and is it because of the virus or are there other reasons? And then secondly, what you tell them to do in their home. So go ahead. Yeah. So, so um, I literally had at least 15 phone calls this morning um, talking to patients um, that are supposed to have surgeries in the next couple of weeks um, and canceling them. Um, and that's come across, you know, from the governor. Um, it's also come across from the hospitals. Um, and at the end of the day, it's frustrating a lot of those patients because right now my wait is about three to four months to have surgery, meaning those patients have already waited for about three to four months to have a surgery. Mm-hmm. One patient has told me today that she works at BJ's um, and she has been out of work already since February because she can no longer walk. That's how, that's how bad her, mm-hmm. her knees have been. Uh, mm-hmm. and she was really looking forward to the surgery and now it's really kind of getting frustrating. Uh, a lot of people are wondering, well, why, why are we canceling those surgeries? 
you know, how does that have to do with the virus? Are we trying to save beds? Are we trying to save equipment? What are we exactly are we accomplishing? And the big thing that's coming across the country is the real shortage of personal protective equipment. That mm. means masks, that means gloves, that means gowns. Uh, even though the numbers of COVID patients in itself haven't been uh, as high in Rhode Island as some of the other states, but you got to think that every patient now coming into the emergency department is, could be a risk. And as a result, you know, the staff that are interacting with them uh, are trying to be as safe as they can, meaning that they will usually, go, you know, put a mask on, they will put a, 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 some kind of gloves on, they will put some kind of protection on. And that has been burning literally through supply at a much, much higher rate than expected. The latest numbers that I saw is that lifespan has about two weeks of N95 masks left. N95 mm. are the specific masks that we try to use for, you know, protecting viruses and other, other uh, biological factors. So that's, 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 that's good for now, but, you know, th- this whole process is going to take longer than that. So as a result, the decision has been made to cancel all non-urgent, non-emergent surgeries uh, um, for now. Um, how long? Who knows? I mean, as of now, um, our governor has suggested that we should shelter at home or stay at home at least uh, uh, April 13th was the deadline, possibly longer. Looking at modeling across the country, I'm, I'm seeing that the curve will probably peak somewhere around two to three weeks from now. Mm-hmm. And now, the, the overall concern is that even if you come into my office to a certain extent, that means somebody has to use a mask, that means somebody has mm-hmm. to use a set of gloves, and that may be taking those masks and set of gloves right. from another patient or that another provider. That, yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that was going to be my weeks. question was could they come into the office, but you're saying you still need the same protective equipment, so it's the same thing. We do, and that's the, that's a difficulty with the whole scenario, and people don't know what to do. I mean, ultimately, the the mantra of stay at home has been has played across the whole board. In fact, the latest thing you know, which the government and the, our governor Governor Raimondo has been very helpful with, is mandating um, telehealth visits uh, and, and making telehealth visits as a much more acceptable uh, resource meaning anybody either by phone call or uh, via a a camera on your laptop or on your iPad or even on your phone, uh, if you have a camera, you should be able to log into a website and we can communicate across uh, and I can take a look at your knee, I can take a look at your movement, I can take a look at uh, your wound, I can kind of talk about different things to do without patients coming into the office. Mm -hmm. That even applies to patients who are, uh, have flu-like symptoms or cold. The current recommendation is still stay at home unless you are really sick. Classic things are you have a fever, you have shortness of breath, and you have a cough. If you are just having a fever and overall still doing okay, the recommendation is probably just try to quarantine, isolate yourself, drink plenty of fluids, and, and stay as healthy as you can. Yeah. All right. What recommendations do you give to patients like the one that called you this morning that said, you know, my surgery has been postponed? What do you say to people who are at home and may not have the surgery now for another two or three months? How can you help them cope and and stay as healthy as they can? That's the hard thing. I mean, arthritis is a progressive disorder that, that's been going on, you know, with most patients for months. And they've already kind of learned to do certain things. Um, and there's two two aspects of 
in my mind at least. One is the pain of the arthritis in itself. And with that, I tell people the same thing I always say about arthritis, which is try not to do things that hurt. So try to avoid certain activities, you know, bending over, squatting down, that's going to make things worse. Uh, if you're walking, try to walk on more stable surfaces, um, like a road rather than a, a trail in the woods. Medications. Um, Tylenol is a great medication. It's relatively safe. Um, the other thing is anti-inflammatories, which is your ibuprofen, your leaves. However, those can lead to some uh, gastrointestinal bleeding. They can, you, know, you should not be taking them if you're already on blood thinners and certain things like that. Exercise. I mean, we talk about exercise. Uh, I love, you know, your channel and everything that you do. You're really about health and health consciousness. So exercise okay. and maintaining the, the, the joint function is critical. Uh, we talked about that a couple of years ago. Um, that there's really a couple of things that joints do. One of them is move. So as long as you maintain the motion, they'll usually keep on working. Two is the overall strength and function of the muscles around it, which act as like a shock absorber, so you're not beating up the joint as much. And then three, maintaining your overall general health um, uh, uh, function, which is plenty of fluids, trying to decrease inflammation across your whole body. Mm-hmm. The other thing related to the joint I always talk about is, is braces. They can sometimes provide some relief. Um, and then at the end of the day, um, it's it's a, maybe a formal physical therapy or coming in for an injection or something along those lines just to temporize the symptoms for now. What about anti-inflammatory foods? It, it, it has been a lot of discussion um, across the Internet, across the media, uh, and I have reviewed a lot of it, and I, I, I highly recommend to patients to look at a lot of the anti-inflammatory diets, not just food, but whole diets, as well as supplements. There's a lot of research nowadays. Five, ten years ago, you know, if somebody would, if a doctor would tell you, hey, go eat this or that, they'd probably say that that doctor is a quack. Nowadays, we actually have basic science research, things like turmeric. There's a lot of research suggesting that turmeric is a really potent anti-inflammatory. You yes. find it in most Indian foods, but you can take it as a supplement. Capsaicin, which is hot peppers, really potent, again, anti-inflammatory, really good effects. Chondroitin sulfate, which is available out there on the shelf, that's another anti-inflammatory, as well as a lot of foods. Avoiding. Uh, here's an interesting story. I had a patient who was scheduled for total knee replacement, I have suggested to him, hey, look at anti-inflammatory things and, and everything across. He did a simple thing. He cut off all simple, carbo- all simple sugars, meaning he said, I'm not using any candy anymore. I'm not using sugar in my, in my tea. I, I cut down everything that's simple sugars. And he said his knee improved to the extent that we decided to cancel surgery for now wow. and wait along. It's been a wow. year and a half, and he's still been doing quite well. Isn't that something, huh? Wow. So, so sugars also. Food, I've also. I've also thing. read. I've also read that gluten. If you uh, gluten very inflammatory. If you can uh, do gluten free food, that also helps. I I, th- I think so. Gluten is interesting because I don't I don't I don't have as much information and background to be honest about it. Gluten is more of an allergy, the way I understand it. Some people are more sensitive than others to gluten. Um, mm. I think by, by proximity, you can definitely, I think if you limit the gluten because you may not know that you're allergic to it or you may not know that you're really reactive to it, right. uh, it may be worth something trying. I totally agree with that. Yeah. The problem but with gluten is that it's in everything nowadays. 
That's true. Tell, tell, explain to us why cutting out that sugar is helping so much because the sugar is really inflaming. Explain that. Uh, so, so I, I, again, I'm not a chemist, and I don't know the full chemistry behind it, but, but I'll tell you from a diabetic perspective, um, and I have a lot of patients with diabetes. So the interesting with sugar, whenever we ingest sugar, part of it gets stored, and that's what we think, you know, uh, that's what fat is, basically. It's fat is, is, is a way for our body to store some of that sugar for energy later. The other thing is part of the sugar is being used. So our muscles, you know, the more muscle mass you have, the more our body is able to take in sugar. But there's another component of sugar, and it's just like if you, if you drink sugar in your cup of tea, and at the bottom it creates a whole, like, you know, sugary-type layer, especially when it's hot, you're almost car- caramelizing that sugar. Well, the same thing happens across our entire body. So that sugar is able to actually coat vessels. It's able to coat nerves. It's able mm-hmm. to coat a lot, of, a lot of inner surfaces. And I think by doing that, your, your body is really not acting normal. So think about diabetes, and the long-term diabetes will actually lead to something uh, called neuropathy. So you'll actually start losing sensation in, in your uh, extremities and everything else. And it has to do from the basic principles that you have higher levels of sugars constantly in your body. Mm-hmm. Okay. So some more advice for people staying home, because it's not just the physical, it's also the emotional. As you know, when you have a lot of stress or you're panicked or you worry, that can affect your body too. So what are some right. other recommendations you have for people who have to stay at home well, before the surgery because they can't schedule it right now or it got canceled? Totally, and that's exactly what I said earlier. So, that, so I view it as two components, one being the physical, so just dealing with the pain. The second part is the emotional and the frustration uh, of, of just not being able to do things that you wanted to do. I mean, that's part of the whole thing of being quarantined at home. Or I, I talked to a friend earlier, you know, he asked me, hey, how are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm good. How about you? And he said, oh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in jail. And I, for a second, I was like, what do you mean you're in jail? Oh, my gosh. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm quarantined for 14 days. Uh, I can't leave my home. And I'm like, well, the truth is some of it is purely perception, right? Everybody's scared right. out, out there. So, so if you think about what fear is, it's really, you know, I, I actually looked it up in the dictionary and it said you know, it's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely right. to cause pain or a threat. So right. now we're fearful of the COVID-19. We're fearful of, you know, the pain that we're going to have with the toll joints. We're fearful we, of like everything that's going to be happening and the unknown. Ultimately, the number one thing to, the number one way to do away with fear is to be prepared. Um, you know, it, it's it, uh, Rosa Parks, which is, I don't know if you know Rosa Parks, but, yes. but she, was, she was a civil rights activist, you know, that, that really, you know, started some of the civil rights, you know, movement in this country. So one of the things she said, she, she said, I have learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. Knowing yes. what, must be do- what must be done does away with fear. So the number one thing I tell patients about fear or about being anxious is have a plan. Think about it. Okay, so I'm not going to have surgery right now. You know, I'm going to be struggling with pain. Well, what can I do about it? You know, plan a set of exercises. Keep yourself occupied. Best thing, you know, think about people are thinking, oh, I'm in jail. Well, I'm thinking about it. Hey, you get a vacation. You get to work on yourself. Exactly. Instead of going to work and work on your job, 
now it's a chance for you to work on yourself. You know, I realized that since COVID-19 started, I'm in the best shape that I think I've been in the last year. I get up at 5 a.m., the same time I used to get up. My schedule is not as busy clinically. So as a result of it, I've been running 45 minutes to an hour. I've been eating much healthier. I've been really focusing on, like, making a nutrition plan. You know, since everybody's scared about, you know, getting food, I've, I've bought too much food. But now <laughs> I've kind of planned a whole meal prepping thing. I don't go out as much, which means I don't eat as much processed food. I'm really eating, you know, healthier. I'm, I'm exercising. I've taken this opportunity, instead of living in fear, to really focus on organizing myself. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of different techniques to use. Meditation. I love meditation. Again, it allows you to kind of stay in your thoughts, calm your mind, calm the worries, and kind of think through everything logically. Rather than rush through it and live in the moment, you're really living now over the next, you know, in the next month, next six weeks. Right. I, I think the challenge for people are people who are really worried about lost income. You know, like the woman on the couch who, you know, was working at Job Lot or, or BJ's, and now all that income is being lost and it's affecting families. I think that, you know, that, that's real for people. And so, you know, being able to cope in that way. It, it totally is. And, and, and trust me, I mean, we're going through the same, the same things ourselves. So I'm, I'm not as worried about myself, to be fair. I, you know, I have, I have savings. I've, I've, been, I've been blessed. To, to kind of be fiscally, you know, in, in pretty good shape. I am worried, though, about my office. I'm worried about my staff. I'm worried about, you know, the, the whole team. I'm worried about the hospital. You hear people getting sick, from, you know, with the COVID-19. You have people who are really, like, in, in, in trouble. We, we've been lucky so far as a country that, that, you know, the vote just came through Congress in terms of providing some support across. Hopefully, it will help some of the small businesses. Hopefully, it will help the individuals out there who may be furloughed right now or have lost their job temporarily. All that stuff makes it quite difficult and scary. And, and, and the truth is, the question I always ask myself, can I do something about it right now? If mm-hmm. not, then I'm thinking about what are my alternatives and what can I do to, to, with, with, with the cards that have been dealt to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. When it, it, it's interesting. Everything you're sharing. I just did a webinar on dealing with fear and anxiety. Just did it, and I, everything you're saying is in the webinar. So it's amazing. Everything you're saying about changing your attitude, understanding what you can do and can't do, using meditation and breathing techniques, and you know, really um, admitting that there's an issue, and and not not um, putting it away admitting it and then going through that feeling and then making a plan to move through. And that's really what you've been talking about. You know, it's, you have to admit. That's exactly it. Right. I mean, you have to admit what's happening. Yes, I'm scared. Yes, we're scared. Okay. And, and feel that feeling and then let it pass and then move through it. If you're not scared right now, something is wrong. Either, either people are in denial which is also part of the normal response to, to, to difficult, stressful situations. Uh, but, but, you know, I'll, at the end of the day, fear is a normal thing. And fear is actually a good thing because fear it is, is something thing. that motivates, motivates us to do something, to address things, to move on. If you don't have fear, then, then most people, you know, remain stagnant. 
through fear, well, we actually manage to accomplish new things. Right. And I think also it prevents us from danger because, you know, we would just walk into the woods into the prickly grass or walk off with a stranger if we didn't have fear. So it's really That's a right. warning system, get eaten, too. Get eaten by the bear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, this is wonderful. What would you, you know, it kind of in wrapping up and closing, and we have a few minutes, what, what do you want our listeners to know? You know, just the, the several points about staying at home. Also, I think we could address staying at home and being safe, even if you don't have surgery. You know, you could fall and trip at home now, too. So, you know, what are some things we can do at home to be safer? Totally true. I mean, one big thing that everybody's talking about, they're like, oh, I'm stuck at home. This is the time to, to kind of start on those home projects. Well, consider that first. Home projects are great, but please, please, please avoid big power tools. Do not cut your fingers. This is not the time to cut off fingers and stuff. Right. Um, right. At the same time, a, a very basic thing that I, I tell a lot of patients even before or after the surgery, look at what you have, and it actually helps with stress in itself. Start decluttering. The less clutter you have, the right. less likely you are to slip on a rock that's out in the corner. Exactly. Uh, or on a piece of, you know, uh, uh, on a box that you've been saving, you know, in another corner of the house on certain other things. In fact, go home and get rid of stuff you don't need. This is a time to do some, ma- some basic cleanup, simplify your life, and kind of think what's important. I think, I think you know, as I said, you can view it positively or negatively, but one of the benefits of, of the current situation is I think you should value people, you should value family, you should value friends much more than the things you have. And at the end of the day, that's going to convert in safety in itself. So get rid of clutter, uh, work on your exercise to stay in the best shape that you can, stay healthy. All those things will actually help with stress. They will help with safety at home, um, they will help with everything else across. And then yeah. considering the COVID-19, I, I, you know, talking with another friend, simple thing, plan. Nobody wants to get sick, but what happens if you are going to get sick, if you are going to have to go to the hospital? Pack a bag, talk to a friend, have a plan B for that dog or cat that you have at home, have a plan, you know, C for, for who's going to take care of your flowers or whatever that may be. If you have all those plans in place, then, hey, if, even if the worst thing that happens, happens, you are ready for it. That's so true. So true. It's been so wonderful to have you on. Now, I know, uh, interesting fact for, your, for the listeners, both of your parents are doctors. Yes, they are. They actually are physicians they... right now in Washington State, which has wow. been, been, you know, the hot spot of, of the COVID-19 crisis over the last number of years or number of uh, weeks, I'd say. And how are they doing? You know, they're doing well. They're taking it one day at a time, um, just kind of, you know, not to try to overshare. But, you know, my dad has only one lung, um, which probably puts him at a much, much higher risk of this COVID-19 turning into something bad if he is to, to, to get it. But, you know, I, I, I talk to him regularly. I talk to my mother more often than my dad, actually. But uh, um, he, he's, been, he's been going to work every day. Um, he's been seeing patients. He's been doing his part to to be productive and to be yeah. helpful to to people in need out there. Uh, my wonderful. mother, the same. You know, she's she's still seeing patients. She still has her own concerns. Um, you know, they have you know they have the same problems as everyone else. They have limited testing uh, uh, capabilities. 
they're worried about personal protection. Um, they're worried about their patients, but they're, doing, they're both doing their best. Uh, my grandmother actually lives with them, and they've been trying to. This is a good point about, you know, our elderly. This is the time to help your grandma, to help your aunt, to help your uncle, anybody mm-hmm. who's older or your neighbor. Right. You know, right. they, if you're over 70 or 80 years old, you should really, really take this seriously and try to stay at home. Same. And then reach out. This is the time to, for those social connections. This is the time to, to renew our friendships, right. to renew exactly. our family connections. Have your kid who's 35 years old or 40 years old go grocery shopping for you or your neighbor. Right. Or if you have a neighbor who's older, please, please, please get some groceries for them and leave them at the front desk so they don't Thank have you. to go out for them. Thank you. I wish we had more time. We're at a close. But very quickly, we've only got like a, a minute left. Very quickly, people can log on to universityorthopedics.com. They can find you on Facebook at Valentine V A L I N. V-A-L-E-N-T-I-N, without the E, Valentine Antochi, A-N-T-O-C-I, and they can correspond with you there, correct? That's correct. All right, and if, they, if they're interested in an in a, uh, outpatient, a knee or hip replacement, they can certainly write you with all their questions. Of course. I'm, I'm available right. anytime. Pretty, pretty open. Yeah. Thank you, Val. It was, it was really wonderful and enlightening and inspiring. Thank you for being on the program. Anytime. Thank you. you. All right. All right. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Program. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true even in these times. You can find me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. You can like me there. You can also write to me, Patricia, at PatriciaRaskin.com. If you are interested in uh, getting my newsletter, which will uh, share with you all of these wonderful guests. And if you want to do your own podcast, give me a shout because I help you do that too. All right, folks, until next time, have a great week. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.